Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Ayin Hay. Today's shir is Le'ilunishmas Ben Sion Ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi and Yechil Moshe Ben Shabsai and Tzvi Ben Sion Ben Yisrael. May their neshamas have an aliyah and may their memories be a blessing. It is also for a full shleima of Yechil Shimon David Ben Goldachaya and Sipara Fiona Bas Chava. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Um, so we're carrying on with the. Remember yesterday we we got sidetracked into uh, droshas. Um, we were learning about the man and the different droshas to do the man, which we're going to carry on. We're just taking a, a, a deviation to discuss a few other droshas that Rabbi Ami, a few other interpretations of psukim that Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi. Uh, argued about. So, going to go from the last line of Ayn Dalet Amud Beis 74b. It says, When a person sets his eyes on wine, he drinks a lot of wine, he walks upright, he walks straight. Now, obviously, that can't be he walks straight. We know that when people drink too much, that's when they start to walk skew. So, what does it mean? So, Rabbi Omar. Anyone who drinks too much, all Arias look upright, look easy to him. Aye, he loses his sense of uh, morality, and even forbidden uh, people are forbidden to him, or acts that are forbidden to him seem okay. The Chad Omar the other opinion said, no, what it means, what is um, a drunkard? He says, He um, all the the world looks like an open plain to him. I all money, everything is easily um, accessible. What is that? That he doesn't care about stealing. He loses his sense of uh, valuing other people's property. Some maybe suggest that it's kind of like an addict. We know addicts very often come to steal to um, fuel their addiction. Um, so that's the thing here. He uh, he doesn't care about other people's property, so that's the problem. That's uh, someone who puts his eyes, sets his eyes on one. So daga believe another drasha daga believeish yishacheno. So let me just make sure I'm pronouncing that word right. Daga believeish yisamcheno. What does that mean? If there's worry in the heart of a person, he should. Uh, no, that's not the right one. Yash yashcheno. Sorry, yash. Yashcheno, um, if there's worry in the heart of the man, he should uh, crush it, press it down. So, oh, oh, so what is Yashcheno really? Yashcheno midato. In his mind, suppress it in your mind. And the other one says he should tell it over to other people. Um, again, different approaches. Sometimes when you have a worry, just realize that it's not a valid worry. It's Hashem's in control. The other things. They offer not always, but often they're bigger worries, etc. And then also other another solution. I think this is the one that the psychologist would suggest is talk about it to someone. And interestingly, um, one shot on this talking about it to other people is Rashi says he might give advice. Others say um, um, another opinion I saw is that not not that he'll give you advice. But that Hashem sets the worry in your heart. The concerns that you have are your, let's say, suffering. If you share it with someone else, Hashem doesn't necessarily want them to suffer. 
when your close friend is going through something, it's hard on yourself as well. So who says Hashem wants? He wanted that person to suffer, not the person you're speaking to, to suffer. So therefore, hopefully, it will bring about a cure. And I was thinking also other people, if they hear your difficulties, they can daven for you. Okay, then it says, V'nachash offer lachmo. A snake, his bread is earth, a, a dust. What does that mean? What does it mean that bread, his ash is his, uh, dust is his bread? So the one said that it means that no matter what delicacy you give him, the most delicious food, it all tastes like offer. And now the opinion says, no, he can eat all the delicacies of, of, in the world, but he doesn't feel settled until he eats offer. Okay, so that's the curse of the snake. Once we mention that, we're going to mention just um, an approach Hashem, Hashem deals with people he's punishing. He says, Hashem is not the same as regular as people. If a person is fighting and wants to get back at his friend, he'll do whatever he can, even affect him financially. But Hashem is not like that. Now, the, I'm going to explain it according to the Ben Yehoyoto. So he says, um, um, that basically we'll see, even when Hashem punishes, there is still a good aspect of his punishment. His punishment is meted out in a, I don't know, I don't know how to say a good way, but in a, with, even for the, what would you call the victim of a punishment? It's not a victim's not the right word because he's deserved. But um, but the person who's suffering the punishment gets something good. He says, Well, let's read through the whole piece and go through the simple understanding, and then we'll do this other explanation of the Ben Yoyara. He curses the snake, and the snake can still go get food from even the roof. If he goes to the ground, his food is with him. He eats dust. Wherever he is, he's got food. He curses Canaan and he gets to eat what his master eats and what his master drinks. And even though he cursed a woman, everyone's always pursuing woman. Um, the he cursed the earth and called Nizon Heimeno and everything's satiated from it. So the other explanation, as I said, the deep explanation that the Ben Yehoyodok gives, he says, is the, the snake deserved to be punished. And, there were, and Hashem could have made, he brought death to the world, so his punishment could have been that he needs to eat blood. But Hashem kindly made it that his punishment is that he needs to eat dust. That is also fitting because he makes man Turn to the du- uh, return to the dust, so he has to eat dust. But again, it's a kindness in that his food is always available. Interesting enough, we generally actually say that's the actual curse of the Nachash. Why is it so bad? It doesn't sound so bad. The curse is that he doesn't have to worry about food. So I wish I didn't have to worry about food. You know, so what's the, what does it mean that he doesn't have to worry about food? So the explanation they give, um, I don't know it's how to fit it in with this more exactly, but the explanation they give is that us who are reliant on Hashem for our food, or it's difficult to get food, we know to turn to Hashem and daven, and we develop a relationship with Hashem, through tefillah and davening, and asking and making sure that uh, davening for our food. Whereas a nachash doesn't have that. He doesn't have that sense of, uh, of, of uh, relying. It's the same as a child. Um, 
One of the advantages of giving your child a little bit of pocket money each month is that he always comes back to you. So again, whether he knows he's going to get it and you're going to give it to him, but he comes back to you and you get a few moments to spend with your child. Whereas, if you just give your son the credit card, you'll never ever see him again. Now on the one hand, it sounds like a much greater brocha that he has the credit card and he can buy what he wants, when he wants, as much as he wants. But on the other hand, he never gets opportunity. It's not even, it's not even like he, whether he wants, he never gets opportunity to come and speak with his father. So that's, that's just regarding the curse of the snake. Then it says he cursed Canaan. Remember Canaan and um, Cham uh, castrated his father Noach, etc. And then Hashem cursed him. And he's cursed that he would have been slaves. Now, he deserved to lose his property because his motivation for his Avera was he was scared he would, if, if he gets another brother, then he has to split the world, split the Yerusha four ways instead of three ways. So he, it was because of money, so he deserved to lose his money. Now, he could have lost it through poverty that he has nothing. But his curse was that he becomes a slave. So at least then his meals are taken care of. And then um, with the woman... So he explains, um, a woman, again, woman brought death to the world. So she was deserving to bleed. But as opposed to making her like just have a nosebleed or something, she bleeds from her rechem, which makes her tome, which increases. We know that by the fact that the husband can't be with his wife for, two, for a week or two of the month. It increases their fondness and their desire for each other. So even in the curse of Hashem, it made her more desirable. And then Kilales Adama, he cursed the earth. He says, still, um, what happened there, very interesting story. If you read the Psukim at the beginning of the of Bereshus very carefully, Hashem said to the trees, Eitz pri oisepri. A tree that is a fruit will produce trees that are fruit. I, the whole tree, <coughs> the whole tree could be eaten. And then when the apostle comes and describes the trees fulfilling Hashem's command, it says, Eitz oise eitz pri. Let me just check, I got it right. Um, sorry, eitz oise pre. I wood that makes fruit. I we our trees have bark, the woody part that's inedible, and the fruit that grows on them. So the trees actually didn't listen to Hashem, so they deserve to be punished. Now their punishment might have been a, a separation from them and their connection to helping man and and the world exist. But nevertheless, Hashem still made it that people need food from the earth. Oh, their punishment was that not only will they grow nice, pleasant plants and trees and delicious fruit, that they also grow thorns and weeds, etc. That's the earth's punishment. But extended to that is people still need to eat from the food. We still need wheat to make bread. We still need vegetables. So we still bless the earth. Okay, so that's one shot. Uh, a little bit of a deeper insight into that piece. Then it says, Now we're going back to the man. It says, B'nai Israel were complaining about the man, and they said, We remember the fish which we got in Mitzrayim for free. Now it's a hard puzzle to understand. You think the Mitzrayim, who wouldn't even supply the Jews with building materials for their buildings that they had to build, gave them free fish. So Rav Hushmul, Charomar Dagim, Omar Arayas, one says it's literally referring to fish. They remember drink, eating a lot of fish, which they didn't get in the desert. And the other one said, no, it's the, it's the Arayas. It says, The one who says, Dagim, it's because it says, ate, the fish which we ate. Makes most sense. We're speaking about actual fish. The one who says, Arayas, because it says, free. I, what they were complaining was that there were certain Arayas that we could do, and now that we're in the desert, we don't get to do them anymore. There were certain um, people we could be with, and now we can't be with them. So that's the complaint of B'nai Israel. Um, just before we go on, Rashi points out that Dagim, this word, Da'aga, can obviously, um, sorry, 
Dogol, it, it reads very simply as fish, but also Rashi points out, it says, the Yidgula Rov in Bereshis, which so we see that Daga also refers to, um, um, to Arayos. Then Ulaman to Omar Arayos, according to the opinion, he says this Pasuk is referring to Arayos, but Israel are bemoaning that they didn't have Arayos, that they don't have those um those arayas anymore, but the Pasuk says eats. He says, Lishna Ma'alya Nokat. It's speaking in a nice way. Dilsiv Ochlo Machate Pio for Omrilo for Alti Oven. We see other source where this phrase Ochlo eat refers to Arayos, and it's just a nice way of saying it. Says when Amanda Omar Dagi Maikhir, I'm according to the opinion that says it's referring literally to fish. What does it mean for free? Obviously they weren't given fish for free from the Mitrim. So it says no, Dahavul Maisina and Lahu Behefkaira, they actually got fish for free. I from Hefker. It says, When Bnei Israel would go to draw water, Hashem would prepare for them little fish in their jugs. So they used to get fish for free. Not free as it was given to them by the Egyptians, but from Hashem. So they're saying we missed that. He says, Now, Bishlam, Lamad Omar Dagim, Aval Arayas, no possible. He says, Okay, fine. So learning that it means fish makes a lot of sense. But learning that it's Arayas, we know that B'nai Israel were not promiscuous in Mitraim. There's interesting, I mean, we bring a puzzle from Shira Shrim. It says, A locked garden was my sister, the bride. And it says, according to the one that they didn't have Arias, again, added in a word of the Pasuk, they were a Mayan Chosom, a sealed well. And so they clearly weren't promiscuous. Not only that, we find it says that there was only one woman who ever had only one child between an Egyptian woman, Egyptian man and a Jewish woman. And that's, I mean, that's a whole story in, uh, where is it, the end of Sefer Bamidbar? I think it's at the end of Sefer Bamidbar, or the end of Sefer, it slipped my mind where it is, but there's the story of the woman from Dan, whose son didn't really fit in, but that was because his father was a Mitri. He was the only one. So they were very um, modest and pious. That, well, they weren't uh, thieves. No, Mahanafti, Surin, Loi Parsibu. No, the answer is, the ones that were not Osur to them, they didn't separate from. I basically... Benain, we know that Benain Oyach are also commanded on Arias, and Benain Israel are also commanded on Arias, but they're not all the same. For example, an aunt. A Jew is not allowed to marry an aunt, it's one of the Arias, but a non Jew is allowed to marry their aunt. So they're bemoaning that there were these certain Arias in Mitzrayim that they were allowed to be with, and now they're not, now that they're in the desert and receive the Torah, they're not allowed to be with them. So they were bemoaning that. Now, Bishlam, the while I'm Arias, honey, oh, there's another pasuk that makes a lot of sense if you learn it as Arias. It says, Moishe, Esa'am, Poichel, Mishpochoisov. And Moshe heard the nation crying about their families. He says, There were family members that they were allowed to lie with, and now they're not allowed to. What does this party understand this Pesach if you say they're complaining that they didn't get fish? In the desert. He says, no, he's actually saying that they were both, they were complaining about both things. Weren't just complaining about fish, and they weren't just complaining about Arias. They were actually complaining about both. Okay, now we carry on with the, the complaints of the Jews against the man. So the pasuk says, um, "What about cucumbers and melons?" And the pasuk continues, 
All these foods that the man that we used to get in Mitzrayim, we don't get now that we have man. And Rashi explains why did the man not taste like these things? Because these foods are harmful to pregnant women. That's what Rashi brings. And therefore the man didn't taste like this. So Rebiyami, Verbiyasi, Chad Omar, Tam Kolaminim, Tam Obaman. When you ate man, it could taste like anything. The taste of these five grains, of these five, not grains, five species, the fish, the watermelon, the, sorry, not fish, um, the watermelon, the, the, the cucumber, the chotzir, the onions, and the garlic, it didn't taste like. The one opinion says, no, all other types, the man, tasted like that food and had the texture of that food with these foods it just had the taste of the food but not the texture of the food so according to the second opinion when you according to the first opinion i mean it's still a huge miracle but when you ate man it could taste like whatever you wanted according to the second opinion when you ate man not only did it taste like you whatever you wanted it had that texture so when you ate uh, when you wanted it to be crackers it was cr- crunchy when you wanted it to be uh Porridge, it was uh, mushy. When you wanted it to be chicken, it had that uh, chicken texture and flavor, except for these five things it didn't taste like. So that was their complaint. But as we said, the reason is because they're harmful. Just an interesting question to think about when they, when we do speak about the man tasting like understanding this uh, drosha. Um, is it, could it taste like absolutely anything? Or was it limited? There might be droshes later on on the page. You'll see where it seems a little bit limited. But also, what happens if you wanted to taste like a McDonald's cheeseburger? Or, you know, could it taste like even on kosher? Could it taste like anything? I mean, we know there's the famous Gemara in Chulin. That's that Yalta, Rab Nachman's wife, said to him. He says, I know that everything in the Torah that is Osur, there's a similar permitted experience. And she gave two examples. For example, if you want to eat chazir, uh, you want to taste uh, pork, so you can have shibuta, the type of fish that's very, very similar, the same as pork. If you want to, so, and her question was, what, is, what and, and she gives a few examples, but then her question was, what about meat and milk? And he said, the other, the other tastes like a mixture of meat and milk. But again, we see, so it seems that there's not a problem in the taste or the texture of isur. While something is also, and this we saw a few days ago in Dafyomi, remember we saw the Chokim. The Chokim, you might say, make no sense. Why can't I, why can I eat uh, deer, but I can't eat, uh, I don't know, um, Chazir? Why can I eat this type of locust, but I can't eat that type of, it's because it's a Zayr of Hashem. We don't understand it, but it's the decree of the king. So that fits in well. Um, so I would say, so too, it's not to do with the taste or the experience that makes it also. It's a decree of the king. So there's, I don't know intrinsically why the man should not be able to taste like that, but that is something to think about. Um, yeah. Also, what bracha do you say on the man? I think we discussed this last time. But probably, hamotzi lechem mina shomayim. It's not lechem mina oretz, hamotzi lechem mina shomayim. Okay, that's something else to uh, discuss. Then the posse carries on. He says, The man was like a white coriander seed. So you always wondered what the man looked like. White coriander seed. He says, um, Now that's a little bit difficult because coriander is not white. So Omar Rabbi Ogul Kegida Velovain Kemar Goliath. It was round like a coriander seed, but it was white like a pearl. 
and Todd Rabon, and we're going to see a two different opinions on describing the man. He says, Gad Pishtan It's similar to a Pishton seed in its casing. Either Pishton seed in their casing was also round. It says, No, it's similar to Agada. Just like Agada draws people after Torah. We love these sugyas that are the stories and the explanations. It's a, it's a nice break from the halachic sugyas. It draws our hearts after the Torah. So, so too, it seems this food, um, the man draws people after food after it. Tanya Idich, another brother taught Gad Shemagid Lem Yisrael. Informed Yisrael of lots of important information. For example, Iben Tishel Rishon for Iben Shivala Achron, whether the son is a nine month old to the first or a seven month old to the last. What are we referring to? So if a woman gets remarried, her husband, she gets divorced and then remarried two months later. And seven months later she gives birth. Is that a nine month old child whose father is the first husband? Or is that a seven-month-old child whose father is the second husband? And interestingly, so the man, very interestingly, when the person would go collect the man for his family, it would turn out to be an Omer per person, exactly the right amount. So if there were four people in your family when you went to collect man, you would end up with four Omers. If there were six people in your family, you would end up with six Omers, however many people. So you just see which father, when he goes and he collects the man, you just see which one had an extra portion, and then you would know which father it's from. So that's why the man is a Haggadah. It tells us these, a Shemagid, it tells us these interesting alochas. Um, Lovon, Shemalvin Avonosayim Shel Yisrael. It's white because it whitened the sins of Yisrael. Again, very interesting. Why? This, I think, similar to what we mentioned yesterday, but the man... Built such an emun in Hashem because remember they had no other food, no other bread, completely reliant on Hashem that it will come tomorrow. So you have to be good and daven to Hashem so that it may good. And as we got to see, the man came to different Jews of different spiritual levels, the man came to in different forms. So it also had a, a, a very visual representation of where you stood spiritually. So it was a huge motivation to develop yourself and improve yourself and become a tzaddik, as we'll see. Just as a novi could tell B'nai Israel what's in the holes and cracks, um, either secrets, what's an example? If you had two people come before Moshe, lodging to judge, the one claimed so and so he stole my slave and the other person said no I didn't steal it you sold it to me so now how do you make that what do you do so he says we'll see the judgment will come in the morning you see if it's in the, in the house you just see where the extra Omer is remember again every Omer per person so you see when the person who let's say they each had five people in their household plus the slave so you see which person got six oimers and then you would know who the slave belonged to a man and a woman come before and the man says i don't want to pay her she's done something wrong that's deserving of divorce and therefore i don't have to pay the ksuba and she says he must pay the ksuba 
Now, so does he? So he says, Omar but the judgment will be decided in the morning. You see where the Omer is, and you can tell what the husband really wanted. If her Omer is collected in his house, well, then it means he really wanted her as a wife, but she's done something to deserve to be kicked out. If it's the other way around, the Omer is in her father's house, we see that he wants her gone, but really she's deserving to be there. And she, uh, that's how, you know, that's how Rashi explains it. Um, she's deserving, but I think you could probably explain it the other way as well. So Ksiv, it's written, Uvoredes, you know, just something else I was thinking about, are you allowed to rely, if, you, if a judge, is a judge allowed to use omens like this to determine a court case? What does he have to use? The laws of the Torah. He must look in Baba. He wants to know who who's the slave belong to. Look in Baba Metzia. He wants to know. Uh, you know, don't uh, use signs like this. But it seems that at least to uncover the reality, maybe that would be fine. Ksiv, it's written. It's written that the tal would come down over the camp on night. But it's also written that the people would have to go out the camp to collect the man. And then thirdly, it's written that they had to wander around to collect it. So, Hokkaita, which is it? Did the man come down in the camp that it was right there, easily accessible for them to collect? Or did it go just outside the camp? Or did they actually literally have to go forage for it? So, it's Adikim Yeredo. That depended on the spiritual level. At Sadiq, the man fell down right outside his tent. He just stepped outside and he could get his man. A Rasha or a Bainoni, an average person, he would have to walk just outside the camp. And Rishoim would have to actually wander around to try and collect man. It's written bread, which implies it's ready to eat. It's written ugos, which implies it still has to be baked. And it's written called vatochno, that they had to ground it. It wasn't processed at all yet. So, and they had to actually make it into food. So, so how do you resolve it? It depends on their spiritual status, how much effort they had to put in to prepare the man. Again, and this is, I think, why one of the ways that we said... Um, yeah, not a not necessarily the most sincere way, but it's a huge motivation to make sure you're on a high spiritual level is because every morning everyone will see whether you're a tzaddik or a rasha. You just see how far the person has to step out of his tent. So it's a huge motivation to purify yourself and become a tzaddik. Since they even had to crush it in a mortar, says, not only did they get man, what came with the man, by the, by the term that they had to crush it in a mortar, not just grind it, so that also spices and stuff that women would use for perfumes. So came down with the man. We're going to see a few similar drops. They would cook it in a pot. This is, again, you bake the man, you don't cook it in a pot, so what's this alluding to? Delicious seasonings fell down with uh, all different delicious flavors fell down with the man. Says by when they were gathering the donations for the Mishkan, this possible is about man by gathering the donations for the Mishkan. It says that they brought them to Moshe for them every morning. 
So now the, I guess the obvious question is what? My baboike baboike. What do you mean in the morning? Didn't they bring any donations in the afternoon? Says Omer of Shmuel, Baranachmani, Omer Bionis, and No, they brought donations from what came down to them every morning. It teaches that there were special precious stones and pearls came down with the man. So we think the man, we thought the man was a big miracle up until now. It came down from heaven every morning. It could taste like whatever it wanted. Um, it came out as the perfect measure for what each person needed. Um, one omer per person and things. These are all the Joshes we know, but we see that the, the miracle of the man was so much more expansive. It says that the Nesim brought the stones for the Shoham. They bring that's the stones for the Choyshe Mishpat, the breastplate. Says Tana, but we Drosha explain Nesim here means clouds. Nesim Mamish for Chayinu Omer. Similarly, it says Nesim Veruach for Geshem Ein. There was clouds and wind, but no rain. Says Vahoya Time or Katam Lishad Hashomen, and its taste was like the taste of Lishad Hashomen. I the Nesim the clouds. I think it came down. The mud came down like clouds. Says Omar Rebi, so, but sorry, what does this mean that it tasted like Lashara Shemen? So Omar Rebi Avu, Ma Shade Zetinok Tom Bokamatomim, Afaman calls Man Shishrol Ochlim also Moisim Bokamatomim. The man was similar, this word Lashad is similar to sh, um, sh, a breast. And just as a child gets all different flavors from his um, milk, so too the man would give off all different flavors. Ikin to Omri, Lashad Mamash, it's exactly, it means literally to a demon. It says, Ma shade zem is hapeg lakamagavonim, afman is hapeg lakamatamim. Just as a demon can take on many forms, demon can, what shapeshift? Um, so too, um, the man could take on many different flavors. Now we move on to the flip side when Bnei Yisrael were complaining about the man. Remember, Hashem said he would bring quail. And he basically it was a plague of quail. So many quail, this type of bird came down and the Jews ate it and many of the evil Jews died from eating it. So he says, um, Hashem said to Moshe, sorry, Hashem, Hashem will give bread He'll give you in the evening meat and eat to eat, um, meat to eat and bread will come in the morning to satiate you. He says, And they asked for bread inappropriately. They basically they told Hashem, Hashem, we, we have we want meat and we have no source of food, no source of meat. And that was, a to- that was actually a total lie. They just didn't want to use their own cattle. They came out of Mitzrayim with huge wealth and lots of cattle. So, but they, no, Hashem, we don't have any food. We need you to give us meat. So they asked inappropriately. So they got bread in an inappropriate way. How, what is that? Is that it came at night when it was too late to prepare. So I imagine it comes home with, uh, at 8 o'clock at night with a delicious uh, steak, but you still have to bry it. So that's the, that it was too late. It says, um, and then, but bread was appropriate. They needed bread and they didn't have bread in the desert. So that Hashem gave them at the right time in the morning when they have plenty of time to prepare it. We see that a person should only eat meat at night. Otherwise they could have prepared it at night and eaten it the next morning. 
But we learned yesterday, Abayah says, if a person has a su'udah, he should only eat it during the day. Remember we said, because you can see your food. He says, no, it doesn't mean literally you must eat your su'udah during the day. It says, you must eat it when it's like day. You must make sure when you're eating your meal that there is nice lighting so you can see your food. But the right time to eat meat is at night. I never... I never knew this. I thought that it was just like a personal thing that we generally didn't have uh, meat breakfasts and things like that. But it seems uh, there's an aspect that it's actually from the Torah. The Torah is teaching us that that's not the correct way to do it. Omar Yaakov, At first, Ben Israel were like chickens who used to uh, what peck around in a rubbish heap. I The whole day they just peck around, not real. Until Moshe came and set a specific time for them to eat. In the morning, if you look by the Tukim of the man, it says for the morning and the evening. That's when you sit down and you have your meals in the morning and the evening. I was just thinking, I know my grandfather was quite upset with the general style of uh, eating of people. I guess similar to Manaki, you know, you go to the fridge, you take a little bit of thing and you walk around and you eat it. And then a bit later you go and get more food and you walk around and you eat it. Lots of people, or they, you gulp down your food and you run off. He said, no, he says, when you're going to eat, you must sit down with a dignified manner and eat in a nice way. And you know, when you finish, then you get up and leave. Don't race through your meals. Don't, I guess, wander around pecking on food. Um, and that's what we learned from Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, as we mentioned, when they complained for the man, Hashem brought down the quail. As we'll see, we're going to discuss what happened with the quail now. Um, and the, they were eating it, and it was actually the quail caused death. It was a plague for being so, I guess, ungracious and rude and disrespectful to Hashem. Says the meat was still in their teeth and they died. They died for a month of days. Okay, so which is it? Did they eat quail for a month and then die? Or did they eat it or did they take a, put some in their mouth, start chewing it and then die? Straight away. Says, no, the, the regular people who were involved in this, they died immediately. And the Rishoyim, I guess the instigators, the ones who led the complaint against Hashem, they suffered for a month before they died. Oh, what about the Tzadikim? The Tzadikim weren't involved. This is the Rishoyim and the, I guess the regular people who were involved, not the Tzadikim. Okay, then it says, So the quail spread out. When it describes the quail coming down from Shomayim, it says they spread out. It says, Don't read it as spread out. Read it as they shechted. They were deserving of shechita. And then it says, It spread out. Shatuach in a spread out way. It says, It's teaching us that what came down for them required shchita. I.e., it was bird, but you have to do shchita. That's the Drosh Hila. And so on that, Rebbe says, Oh, my Rebbe. You're telling me this is where, up until now they didn't know that you had a chef bird. This is finally they knew because of this drosha that it uses the word shatuach and you should read it as shachut. Oh, we know bird needs a shchita. Since we know from our Sinai, Kfar Neymar already says, It rained down for them. Um, sorry, 
I think I'm explaining it wrong. They, they already did, maybe you're not sure what it is. So it's saying this quail is a bird that needs shita. But it already says that it came down for them like a winged bird. Now we know from, as we're going to see, it says Vatanya, we learned in a Brisa, Rebbe, I mean, Rebbe says, Vazoch vacht or kashetzi v'sicho. You must shecht it as I commanded. So sorry, let me just go back a step and explain it clearly how I understand it. Uh, I misunderstood it when I was learning last night and I just realized what, what I think correct shot is. We don't know exactly what slav is. And by telling us that it needs to be, sh- by using the word shatuach, and you make a drosh and shachut, you learn that it was bird, it was something that required shchita. So Rebbe says we don't need that drosha of shatuach shachut to tell us that it requires shchita, because it's already told us that it was oif, winged birds, that came down from the heaven. And we know, we're now going to bring a brysa, how do we know that Bird needs shchita. So the Pesach says, V'zovachta kashet sivitzicho. Malameh, this teaches us, Shenitztadeh Moshe ala veshet v'alakone al roiv echot ba'oif v'alrov shnayim b'behema. That Moshe commanded B'nai Yisrael that they have to shech the trachea, the esophagus and the trachea, a majority of the, of the esophagus and trachea, at least one of them in the bird and a majority of both of them in a behema. What's the Torah coming to teach us when it says Shatuach Malamichiahim Mishtihim Rashtihim? It came down in layers and layers and layers. It was just piled up how much quail Hashem made come. Um, so what so what we so what so what's the we know from we already knew from Har Sinai it's oral Torah, but we know from Har Sinai that you need to shech the bird, and the Apostles already told us that it was bird. That Hashem brought. So we don't need a drosha to tell us that art oh, requires shchita. We know it requires shchita. That apostle is coming to teach, to teach us that it came down in layers and layers and it was piled up with quail. No one was no one was short of quail. And just interestingly, this pasuk was zavachta chashet zivisichos. I don't know if it's one of the favorites, but it's one of the psukim that we say halat that there must be a Torah shebalpe, an oral Torah. So as as we know there, the tzidukim the the Baitusim, throughout our history there have been people who have claimed there's no such thing as the oral Torah and one who dismiss it. But there are actually allusions to it and you kind of have to come on to the oral Torah from the written Torah. But this is one of the sources because it says, and you shall shecht as I have commanded. Now if you read through the whole Chumash, it doesn't say give us much guidelines about shechita. It doesn't tell us how to do shechita. It just says shecht as I have commanded. So where has Hashem commanded it? In the oral Torah. That's the. That's what you have to. That's why it's one of the sources. Sheft as I've commanded. Nowhere in the Torah should be sabbat. Does it tell us how to do shkita? Must be. It's in the oral Torah. Okay, carrying on. It says carrying on with the. Oh, ksiv lechem. We go one step back to the man. Ksiv lechem uksiv shemen uksiv devash. It says that it was bread. It says that it was fatty or oil, and it says that it was honey. Which one was it? Which one was the man like? So he says, Omar Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chanina, Lano Arim Lechem, Lozakainim Shemen, Lotinoikas Dvash. No, it was the correct type of food for the person. Youngsters need bread. So they got, the man was more like bread to them. Elderly people required Shemen, so that's what came down as fatty food for them. And uh, children, it was honey, that's what they need. Ksiv, then we go back to the quails. Ksiv, Slav, Karinan Slav. It's written with the shin, so you might read it as shlov, but we know to pronounce it as slav. 
This is the quail, the, this bird that came down from there, that Hashem brought down for them when they complained about the man. So, Omri Bichanina, Tzadikim, Oichlin, Asob, Shalva. Tzadikim could eat it with tranquility and Rishoim, Oichlin, Asob, Domelohem, Kisilon, or Kislivim. It was like thorns to them. Aye, so, dep- again, depending on the nature of the person, how the slav, was it like shlav, shalva, or was it like slav, thorn? There four types of slav, this bird. The best one is sikhli. Garina the kula slav. And the lowest quality, the worst one is the slav. And that's what B'nai Shal got. And they deserved that because it came as a punishment because they were complaining against Hashem. It's like a small bird, and when we place it in the oven, it's now discussing the, this type of bird, we place it in the oven, it expands. And it fills up the oven. It expands because of all the fat and grease in it. Um, we place it, spread it over four loaves of bread, uh, 13 loaves of bread. And the bottom one where all the fat sinks to and rests, you can't eat it unless you mix it with food. I think it's just telling us that they're a very fatty bird, this slav. And we we, uh, oh, interesting. Now he's saying, so in the desert, the quails came as a miracle. Again, for those who are deserving, as we saw, the Tzadikim ate it in tranquility. The Rishoim and the Bainonim, it caused death to them. It was a plague. But Tzadikim, there's a, Hashem gives a gift of slav to his Tzadikim. And that's what Rabbi Yehuda Mishtachach Dani, Yehuda used to find quail. He used to find this quail. And it's an amazing bird. Very fatty, seems nutritious, very good to eat. Um, Amongst his barrels. And Rav Chizda Mishtak Lei Beit Sivir, Rav Chizda used to find it by his woodshed. And Rava Maisi Lei Arisa Kol Yuma. Every day Rava's uh, sharecropper would bring him quail. Aye, there was quail in the field and he'd bring it to Rava. It says, Yuma Chad Lo Aisi, One day the sharecropper didn't bring it and Rava says, Oi, what's happened? Solik Le Igri went onto the roof and Shamay Le Nuka Omri. Shomati v'tirgaz bitni. He heard a child saying the pasuk, I heard and my innards shuddered. Says Omer Shomua Shmami. Now we see from here, Noach Nafshei the Rav Chizda. Rav Chizda has died. Uvadil Rabba Ochil Talmida, and because of the Rav, the student got to eat. I. What happened here is Rava realized that his bracha of that he used to get quail all the time was in the merit of his. Rebbe and father-in-law, Rav Chizda. Um, interesting, how did he realize that Rav Chizda had died? And he realized that's why his quail had stopped? Because he heard a student say, Absukim. There's some sort of nevur, some sort of ruach HaKodesh, that if you ask a child what they're learning, and they quote the psukim, that psukim, those psukim are a message to you. We see this a few times throughout Shas that they used this message on nevur. It's discussed in Yoreda, but that's what, that's what Rav realized here. Vixiv, now back to the man. Vixiv, Matal, Shikhvas, Hatal. And a layer of Jew ascended. Vixiv, Uberere, Hatal. 
and when the dew came down. So Amar Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Chanina, Talmil Malava Talmil Mata. There was a layer of dew below the man and a layer of dew above the man. The man was like it was in a box. It was in a box of dew, kept safe. Interestingly, this is one of the sources why we particular to cover our bread on Shabbos. Remember the two loaves of bread? There's a lot of correlations between Shabbos and the man. Um, a lot of halachas, I don't remember if you remember from Hilcha Shabbos that we learned out from each other and a lot of correlation, don't have time to go into it now, what's the connection between Shabbos and the man. But part of the reason we have two loaves of bread on Shabbos is because of the two portions of man they received because of Shabbos. And we also cover the bread. Obviously you have a cover underneath, either the challah board or the tablecloth you have underneath and you put a cover over to remember, one of the reasons is to remember the dew. There was a layer of dew below the man and a layer of dew above the man. So that's a nice idea. That's, this is the source for that, that idea, why we cover the challah. We know obviously that's the other reason that um, really the challah should not be on the table if you're going to say hagofen. So we cover it to, as if it's not there and not to embarrass the challah. But this is one of the reasons why we cover the challah. It was dak mechusvas. That refers to it could melt in the palm of a hand. The man was uh, very, I don't know, very soft. He says, no, Rabbi Yochanan says, because it got completely absorbed in the 248 limbs of a person. I, the, the gematria of Mechuspas is 248. Can take, you can check it or you can take my word for it. But that's what Rabbi Yochanan is saying. So the man was very fine and it got fully absorbed into 248 limbs. We'll see the ramifications of that shortly. But the Gemara asks, Mechuspas is more than 248. That's 254. It's written without the Vov. So 254 minus a Vov minus 6 is 248. So it corresponds. Now, ish. The bread of the mighty, the bread of the giants, is what they, what man ate. It says, Rabbi Akiva says it's the bread of the angels that they used to eat. This man was angel food. When they told us to Rabbi Shmuel, he said, Go tell Rabbi Akiva, Akiva What you think? Angels eat bread. You think angels eat? They eat man. Doesn't the Pesach say, Lechem lo achalti, or mayim lo shosisi? Moshe, when he went up to Har Sinai, he told us that he wanted to, what, when in Rome, do as the Romans, or when on Har Sinai, act like angels, and Moshe didn't eat bread or drink water. It says, Elamani makayim avirim. So what does avirim mean, according to Rabbi Shmuel? It can't mean the bread of angels. It must mean, it's bread that is absorbed into the person's 248 limbs. Um, yeah, I wanted to go into a deal. So according to Rabbi Akiva, what did angels eat and did they eat man? What exactly that was? But I think let's just try to do a few more lines rather. Oh, but if that's the case, why did they need a, sl- a, sl- uh, uh, a spade? What's all this telling us that the man was completely absorbed in their 248 limbs is that they never ever needed the bathroom from eating man. It was such, I don't want to say refined because that has all wrong connotations nowadays, but it was such refined food 
that it got complete and perfectly nutritious, that it got completely absorbed into them, so they never needed the bathroom. But we know one of the halachas of the Jews is that they had to have a shovel with their arms, because if they needed to go to the bathroom, they had to go outside the camp, dig a hole and cover it. They had to keep their camp a level of, with a certain level of purity. So why did they need that shovel if they never needed the bathroom? Because they ate man. So he says, No, what about the food that non-Jews sold them? Regular food. No, even the food that non-Jews sold them, even regular food that the Jews got, the man caused it to be completely transformed and dissolved. So what did the Jews need the spade for? You know what? Originally, Hashem said to the Jews, I wanted you to be like angels. You would eat food and you wouldn't need to go to the bathroom. He says, well, now I'm going to punish you that you have to work three parsos. They camp by the Jordan. We may say, Shemizal. The Jewish camp was three parses. So if you were in the camp and you needed the bathroom, you had to walk three parses. When you go to the bathroom from the camp, you had to go behind the camp. You didn't want to go in front of the camp or to the sides of the camp. You had to go. So lots of people ended up, because they complained about the man, they started needing to go to the bathroom. And it was... Uh, and that was actually a, they, they felt better because can you imagine not going to the bathroom for a few weeks, never mind a good few years, maybe even 40 years, not going to the bathroom, you'd start to panic a little. So they were, they found it as, and we'll see a few more, uh, it carries on with this theme a little bit more in the Gomorrah clarifying it, we're just not going to go into it now, but that's what this, uh, this, uh, um, that's what this complaint was about and that's what Hashem, uh, Hashem, uh, Save, initially he saved them from needing the bathroom but then he as part of the curse as they complained then they started had to actually walk very far to go to the bathroom um, yeah and we'll leave it there for today it is a little bit in the middle of the discussion but it continues along the same lines and will continue Sunday